we remain standing for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, has anybody else been geeking out recently? Like, you know, they, they put a Tesla into space. Did anybody else see that in the news? I, I, I've been kind of geeking out about this whole idea of putting this Falcon rocket on a launch pad, put a Tesla, $100,000 Tesla in the top of it and send it into orbit. In fact, they say it's headed towards Mars right now. It's gonna hit, hit around, get close to Mars around June of this year. Uh, the, this, the person driving the Tesla is known as, not really a person, but known as Starman. Right now, Starman is 2.8 million miles from the Earth, moving away at 7,532 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. I think about this, all these things that are happening, we think it's kind of cool. I also figured out, I also checked, and I said, how much did it cost? So you got your $100,000 Tesla, but it cost between 90 and $100 million to launch Starman into space. Now, I think about this. I think about how somebody, somebody named, what is his name, Elon Musk, right? Decided to say yes to putting a Tesla into space. Now, as cool as that is, like, I'm not, I, I like this. I, you know, I personally, as a human being, think this is really cool. But I'm thinking, why? <laughs> you know, I, I, as cool as it is, like, why? Like, What's the reason? Why spend all this money? Why all this effort? I mean, I'm sure he's got his reasons, right? But I would suggest to you that, that all that we're doing as a, as a society, as a community, as a nation, to pursue this, continue this space race, which started with John F. Kennedy, if you remember, and sending someone to the moon. And, and I'm thinking about this, you know, why? why? What, what is this within us that's pursuing this? But also, why are we saying yes to all this money and energy and time? And is, there, is this the most important thing we could be doing? Well, I was introduced to a, a man named, a monk actually, named a Cistercian monk named Thomas Merton. I went on a silent retreat at a monastery a few years ago and I spent a week in the monastery in silence. I didn't talk to anybody. Only two, I, I talked two times. One was to a spiritual director about midweek and the other was to call my wife and let her know I was eventually coming home. So I, I did talk to my wife once, and I did a lot of talking to God. That silence, that discipline of silence allowed me time with God. But I read this quote from Thomas Merton, and I think it's a great quote for us to remind us. You know, he was writing this during the space race where we're, we were trying to go to the moon. He said this, 
what can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all voyages of discovery, and without it, all the rest are not only useless, but disastrous. Think about that. We can put a Tesla into space, but we have not solved the abyss within ourselves, right? And that is a greater journey to be on. And in fact, that's what we've been talking about during this series leading up to Easter, this, what we call this season of Lent. We're talking about this abyss that exists within us, this journey, this kind of spiritual journey that we need to go on to across that abyss. And that is a greater journey than going to the moon or putting a Tesla into space because it has life-changing impact. Tesla in space, in fact, the Tesla is gonna do some destruction in about 10 million years. It is gonna land back here on the planet. They've, uh, some students have, have predicted that eventually within the next 10 million years, I know it's gonna, we're, we don't really have to worry about it, I realize that, but it's gonna crash back into the planet, right? They, they, they've been predicting this, they've been debating it, and I'm sure they'll come up with another answer next week. But anyway, right now, just be on the alert, within the next 10 million years, be looking up in the sky for a Tesla to come back, all right. But we've been saying, like, what, what we've been doing is talking about this, this spiritual discipline of saying yes and no. Last week we talked about no. This week we're talking about this discipline of saying yes. And so I want to remind you a little bit about what we talked about last week. If you weren't able to make it last week, bring you up to speed here. We talked about the four quadrants. Remember the four quadrants? And I kind of relabeled these to kind of help make them a little bit more clear. And so on the vertical axis is spiritual effort. You know, we, there's some things we do that take little effort. And there's some things we, we do take a lot of effort. And that effort can translate into those things. Doing those things could translate us into growing closer to God and moving towards God, or it can move us further away from God, like the Tesla, away from earth, right? And so we can be moving closer or farther away from God based on some of the behaviors, practices that we engage in, the things that we do. And so if you look across the bottom, we talked last week about just saying no. There's some things that are real easy to do, but they actually move us away from God, and we just need to say no to those things in our life and discipline ourselves about that. Then there's this other place where we say no, which is called let go which is that place where we may be making an idol of piety or disciplines and they become an idol in themselves and they're no longer serving our relationship to God. And really, ultimately, it's about moving us into our relationship with God. So we gotta let go of some of these pious things that, we, that are really idols of piety rather than actual helping us in our relationship to God. And then the top quadrants are yes to blessing. We need to say yes to blessing. Those are the things that take little effort but we're really blessed by them when we do, do them and they grow us closer to God. And then the other quadrant, and the quadrant I want us to really focus in on a little bit more today is discipline. Yes to discipline. And the reason we say yes to discipline is because it pays off in the long run. It pays off in the long term. And this is where these spiritual disciplines actually help us in this problem of the abyss, right? There's this journey that we're on in the abyss and we really, it takes spiritual disciplines to help us cross that abyss that Merton was talking about. Now, are you with me? I just, I feel like I just set a mouthful to just bring everybody up to the same place. So, gospel lesson this morning. Jesus was preaching to the crowds. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached, ever unpacked. If you look at the teaching of it, Jesus is teaching and taking us to a whole nother level of discipline and a whole nother spiritual ethic and an ethic for Christian community and for the kingdom. 
And he's talking a lot in the Sermon on the Mount about a lot of practical things, about marriage, divorce, adultery, how, how do we deal with money, uh, how do we deal with our own power, what do we do about prayer, what do we do about worry. He's got a lot of stuff in there that is so practical to human life. And today we read a, pa- a very short passage of that sermon that I don't think gets preached on a lot. We, we say it a lot, you know, we, we refer to it a lot. So let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? That's what Jesus was saying. But he's actually setting out an ethic for the way we are to live, especially that we're to be disciplined in our yeses and our nos. He's saying that you and I should be disciplined in what we say yes to and what we say no to. We shouldn't be saying, well, I swear by all the hairs on my head, right? Or I swear by the throne of God or I swear by this. We, don't, we are not a people who swear or need to swear because our word, our yes, or our no is enough. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It has integrity. See, because why do we do that, right? Why do we say, hey, I, I, I swear I'm gonna do it, right? Why, why do we do that? Because maybe we can't be trusted, <laughs> right? And actually, Jesus said that. He said, he said all, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from who? The evil one, right? Think about that that anything beyond a simple yes or a simple no of being reliable, of being, having integrity, anything beyond that is from the evil one. I thought about that. I was like, what does that mean? What, why is Jesus equating our wishy-washiness, our fickleness with evil? That's what he's doing. He's saying when you say yes to something and then don't follow up on it, that's, that's evil. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest about it. That's what Jesus is saying. We may not like that because how many of us have said yes to something and then backed out? Or said no to something and then said, yeah, right, yeah, amen. We're, we, it's confession. We can confess here. It can, we can be authentic, right? Or, or we say yes to something and then something else better comes along like a Seahawks game and we say no to, you know. Yeah. Is that too close to home? Sorry, did, I, did, did that one hurt? Sorry. I'm just messing, just messing, sorry. I'm just meddling, as they say in the old school church. But we got this wishy-washiness. We've got this, this conflict of interest thing going on inside of us. We, we've got this fickleness. And interestingly enough, James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8 mentions this as well. James says this in, in verse uh, 1, starting in verse 5. Let me get there this morning with you. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a what? A wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do, right? Unstable, double-minded. This double-mindedness, this conflict of interest that exists within us is unstable, we're not letting our yes be yes and our no be no. We're actually saying yes and no and no and yes and yes. You know what? Have you ever been conflicted? Have you ever been double-minded? Right? You, 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 your head says one thing and your heart says another thing. And you're like, which one do I do? Which one do I follow? And, and you know, the world's got a lot of wisdom to give us. Have you noticed that? I, I thought about some of the wisdom we get from the world, from, from movies and from TV and, and from Disney. Make all your dreams come true, right? I think that was actually a line from Napoleon Dynamite, Pedro's campaign speech, right? <laughs> just, just seeing if you're with me, just checking. 
But here are some of the things that we say to our, say in society. What we may even, I, I think I've said these things myself. Like, how about this phrase that we say, be true to yourself. Have you ever said that? Have you heard that said? Be true to yourself, right? And, and I get that. I, I think there's, some, there's a piece of that that I like because we should be authentic and be ourselves, and, and that's a good thing. But be true to yourself. Just think about it. Here's another one. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. Emphasis mine. Right? Our conscience, right? Or how about this one? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Doesn't it sound great? I, I feel like I should be in a Hallmark movie right now, right? Follow your heart, right? And so there are things where we, where we tell ourselves, I want you, what, are the, what is the common word in each of those phrases? Your. Right. Your. See, that's the problem. James said, if you lack wisdom, who are we supposed to ask for wisdom? God, <laughs> not yourself. Why would that be? Why would that be cause fickleness? Why would that be from the evil one? Because we're fallible human beings. You and I, our conscience is fallible. As strongly as we may believe something, as strongly as we think we might be right, our conscience can fail us. Think about this idea of following your heart. Your heart, Jeremiah says, is one of the most deceptive things in your life. Your heart is one of the most deceptive things in your life. Why would you follow it? If your conscience is fallible, your heart is deceptive. And then, what about this? The one that, you know, let your conscience uh, be true to yourself, which I love the authenticity part of that. But I want you to think about that. If we just all be true to ourselves, if seven billion people on a planet all follow that line of thought, we wonder why we're in the situation we're in. Wisdom comes from God. It does not come from the fickleness of the human heart or the human conscience or being true to yourself. Be authentic, yes. Be who God created you to be, yes. Say yes to those things. But yourself is not the most reliable guide. That's what we have to think about in our world. We are, we are being taught this in our world. And part of the problem is, is that we end up then conflicted, double-minded, unstable in our decision-making. So to kind of illustrate this, I need a volunteer. I heard, you guys don't do volunteers in sermons here? I need someone who can help me with an illustration this morning. Someone who is willing to be in the spotlight and maybe be made a little fun of. Everybody's jumping ahead, so I've got, where? All right, John Pope, Pook, right? Come on up. He can, I, know he, I know he can handle it, right? All right. Give him a hand, yeah. I was gonna call on this John, but this John is good too, so come on up here. So have you ever blown up a balloon before? Yes. That's all I need you to do. Okay. All I need you to do is blow up this balloon, and then I want you, when you're done blowing it up to a certain, you know, you just go... Uh, don't tie it off, just hold it, right? All right, so just go ahead and start. I'm gonna come, there's gonna be commentary along with this while you're doing this, all right. So go ahead. Get, if you need to stretch out, right? Yeah, do some warm-ups, right? 
So imagine that is your soul. What are you filling your soul with? What is he filling his soul with right now? Hot air, right. What is hot air? Our ego, right? Our own pride. You, yourself, right? And a lot of times we're filling our souls with what we think we need, right? Or yourself, or true to yourself, or whatever that is. And so you, that's all you're gonna do? Right, go do a little bit more. I, I know you got more hot air than that, right? So if your soul, that's good, I'm gonna hold. Thank you, I was just messing with you. So if your soul is full of your ego, right? And then you come across some life decision and you're like, I don't know what to do, right? Where am I gonna get wisdom? Well, look within yourself, John, right? And then when you look within yourself to all the hot air that you filled your soul up with, let it go. <laughs> what did James say? You're like that, right? You're like that when you're double-minded because you've filled yourself up with all your own hot air, right? All right, how many people are still with me? No, stay there, we, we, get, we get to do this again. So hold on to the balloon. Now, I want you to blow it up again. And I want you to hold it again, but we're going to do something different this time, all right? So how many people here are willing to confess that they fill themselves up with some of their own stuff? All right, yeah, we all do that, right, as human beings, right? We do that, and we try and do these things, and, we, and this is part of our fickleness. That's good, that's good, thank you. Don't want to pop it. Well, that could happen, too. So I told you we want to focus on spiritual discipline, right? So what, what happens when we engage in spiritual discipline in our lives, when we say yes to spiritual discipline, is we start to let a little air out. Like, so spiritual discipline lets some of that air out. Because every time I practice a spiritual discipline, like for example, tithing or giving to God, I'm actually, I'm, what am I letting go of? Myself, right? And I'm giving something to God, and, and part of this is something going on inside of me. It's not just about the church or giving. A lot of people think it's all that church wants is my money. That's not why I ask people to do that, I, or why I do it. I practice spiritual discipline of giving because I know that when I give, I'm letting go of some of myself, some of my own pride, <laughs> some of my own hot air. And I'm saying to God, God, I am dependent on you, not just on my ability to make money. And that lets let out some more air. And so that lets out some more air when I do that, right? When I worship. Or when I study God's word as a discipline, I do it long-term over and over and over and over again, right? And what I do is I, when you study, let me ask you this, when you study God's word, what does it do to your pride or your spirit? Or you, how, what happens to wisdom in your life? So your pride gets lower, you're humbled, but then what does it do about your, your wisdom quotient? Your wisdom goes up. So you let out a little bit more air, right? When you study God's word. When you pray and bring things before God, it's another spiritual discipline that lets out even more air out of yourself, right? And then you find that you're finally empty enough to be filled with something else. Now, I know you're a dad. What else do dads fill balloons with? To throw at their kids. <laughs> Water. Water, yeah, all right, good. We could also fill this balloon with water. How would that change how it acted? How would that change the way it is directed, right? So if we filled this with water, it would have weight, it would, have, it would, it would start to obey the law of gravity, right? 
And if I tied it off and had it full of water and I aimed it somewhere, I could make a splash, right? I could make an impact, right? And what did Jesus say about water? That he wanted to fill us up with what kind of water? Living water, right? Totally changes how this balloon acts <laughs> if we fill it with something else, amen? Let's give John a hand for getting up here. Thank you. Do you want that? I want to fill my kids with living water. All right, gotcha. Thanks, John, for coming up here and putting yourself on the spot. Does that make sense? I know all analogies break down at some point, but the point is, is that what are you filling yourself up with may dictate how wishy-washy you are, how yes and your no's go, how your discipline, and spiritual discipline and saying yes to spiritual discipline can actually help us and to do that. So that is so important. So here are two things I want to leave us with in this sermon. Part of when we say yes, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, what we're doing is we're saying yes to being consistent. That's part of discipline. We're saying yes to consistency. Yet a discipline is a consistent thing we do over and over again over a long-term period of time, and that discipline actually helps us. It's consistency. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no is about consistency. How many people saw the gold medal men's curling team this week in the Olympics? You watch the Olympics, right? The U.S. men's team won the gold for the Olympic curling. Now, I hear people kind of snicker when they think about curling, right? Like, is it really a sport? You know, what is going on? It's like shuffleboard on ice, right? You know, we make all these comments about curling. So I went in, I looked at their training. I, I was like, what do they do for training? For, what do you do you have to train to be a curler, right? So I found that they have one part of their program is three days a week for 90 minutes. They do strength training. So I want you to imagine... 90-minute workout three times a week in addition to the other workouts that they do, but this is their strength training workout. So I found out they do this 90-minute workout three times a week, and the other part of that workout, 30 minutes of that workout, about a third of that workout is just squats and lunges with weight. All right, so you, squat is this. You put some weight on you and you push out. That's a squat. I just did a squat. Now I'm pain in pain. No, I'm just kidding. Right, and so, and then you would take, they'll take weights and they'll do lunges, right? Like this. Now, 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 if you don't believe me that this is hard, go home this afternoon and do that for 30 minutes without weight. Just do it without weight. See how you feel after 30 minutes. Three times a week. They discipline themselves, they're consistent with that discipline and they do it over and over and over again each week to train for the Olympics. Just squatting and and lunging. That gets kind of boring after a while, don't you think? How many people would like to squat and lunge? A lot, right? You know, none of, I doubt any of you are going to actually go home and do that, right? Why would they do that as curlers? Have you ever watched curling? Have you ever noticed how low they get, right? Right? All those muscles are being worked out every week. The most important muscles are the muscles that they focus and are disciplined about and train on. Why? So that when they get in the game, they're not in pain. They don't have to worry about what their muscles are doing. They've already trained themselves. They've already disciplined themselves so they can focus on the game and focus on what's happening right before them. They're not wishy-washy about their muscles. Spiritual disciplines are disciplining ourselves, building up muscles, spiritual muscles within our souls that actually help us in the game of life. 
So that when we're out in the game of life, when we're living the game of life, these disciplines actually come into play in that game. Does that make sense? See, we, we don't do them often because we're afraid that we don't have the time, we, they won't pay off. And so we don't focus on them, yet we, we neglect to see that they actually pay off in those moments of crisis, in those moments of decision. All of a sudden, I have this wisdom from God that I didn't know I had because I had spent the time in God's word or because I had spent the time in prayer or because I had done things in worship, I had been to worship. Those things come back in the game of life. They impact us when we're living the game of life. And the other thing I would leave us with is this, that when we say yes we're also saying yes to integrity, to being a whole person, to not being just filled up with ourselves, but being filled up with God, to being an integrated whole so that our yes is yes and our no is no, to be a genuine, authentic person who is clear about who they are in God. Say yes to integrity. This past week, we lost a a great leader in the church. His name was Billy Graham. And a lot of people wrote a lot of great things about him this week. And I had the privilege of knowing a little bit, working on some of the crusades, but also he was on the board of trustees when I was in seminary and got to hear him in our chapel. And uh, I got a reflection from another president of, uh, former president of SPU, his name's David McKenna. And he wrote a reflection about Billy Graham and his time with Billy Graham, his relationship with Billy Graham. And I was reading through it and I came across this, this, uh, this illustration from his life. And it turns out that, that Billy Graham was here in Seattle in the 70s for the Kingdom Crusade. And uh, 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 President McKenna at the time, he invited Billy Graham to come and speak at SPU and, and Billy Graham said, I, I can't do that because I'm getting ready for this, this uh, crusade and I need to focus all my energy on this crusade. I am called to be an evangelist. And, 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 and Dr. McKenna certainly understood that and he said, you know, I, 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 I understand that. See, what was Billy doing? He was saying yes to be an evangelist and letting his yes be yes and his no be no. And he was saying no to some other things that were maybe pulling energy and time away from that, right? And he, he was why he had wisdom about that, right? I wonder where that wisdom came from. And so he had this wisdom about doing that, and this was some time ago. And so, so David McKenna invited Ruth Graham, his wife, to come and speak at SPU, at that time Seattle Pacific College. And so she came and she spoke at the college, and she was, uh, he went to pick up Ruth from the, from the hotel, and he was driving uh, Mrs. Ms. Graham, Mrs. Graham uh, to SPU. And she said that Billy was very discouraged and disheartened and it just the, as they were heading up to this crusade that night, he was just discouraged. He said, well, why, why, what, what's going on? He said, well, he just had his, his press meeting, his opening press meeting with the Seattle media. And, she said, and he said that one of the, one of the reporters was caustic and, 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 and really just trying to dig at him as a human being. And she said that it was, a, it, was a, it was a reporter from the Seattle Post-Intelligencer who kind of attacked him and it was attacking his integrity and attacking his faith. And he was just so discouraged. Now there was another member of actually First Free Church who was a reporter there that I understand her name was Hilda Bryant. 
And Hilda reported that she went back to the office and this same reporter was back at the office and here's how she described the scene of that reporter at the Seattle Post-Intelligence or when she got back to the office. She said, I saw a frustrated and angry man. He was cursing as he wrote, tearing out sheet after sheet from the typewriter and littering the floor with the waste. And when Hilda asked him, what's wrong? He growled, that Billy Graham, the man is genuine. (laughs) Right? Billy had just been himself with the wisdom of God. He had been who God created him to be and as much as the media wanted to attack, as much as the media wanted to find something wrong with his life, (laughs) as much as they wanted to poke and prod and criticize, they couldn't. (laughs) That's integrity. (laughs) That's wholeness. That's consistency. Amen? Let's pray together.